Let us read the Word of God together. 1 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? A, not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must be a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, for those of you who may be aspiring to be an elder, you have just read a list of terms and descriptions of what we should be and what you should be that would be daunting. How many of you find that? How many of you would sign up for that? <laughs> Not a whole bunch of us would sign up for that because when we read these terms, we read in the light of perfection. And how many of you know that you are in one body totally depraved and totally redeemed at the same time? Now, if you can tell me how that works, I'll let you have the mic and you can come talk to us. But the beauty is, is life in many respects is a paradox and it's a journey and it's a journey and it's a continuum of learning how to walk with God. Ryan was talking about earlier when he came here and the doubts and the conflicts that we have and really believing and knowing that God loves us. So we want to talk about, do you want a shepherd or do you want a superhero? That's kind of the big idea for this morning is that we can read the definition of what an elder should be and how he should live in the context of thinking that he should be able to, as the old Superman show on TV when it first came on, used to tell, you know, come on and say he's faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And somehow what we just read seems to conjure up that kind of an idea of a man who can do that. Or do we really want someone who will shepherd us, care for us, and lead us into the places that God would ordain for us and help us to learn how to flourish in the Lord? And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. And the good news and the paradox of it is this is not only for people who would be elders, this is for every one of us as believers. I mean, who doesn't really... I mean, how do we get off not being temperate, prudent, godly, loving, kind, not addicted to wine, managing our own household, caring about people? This is a part of Christian life altogether. So please do not look like this is a, a notch above or this is something else. Yes, elders carry responsibility, and we'll talk a little bit about that as this series goes on. But my point is, is that God has called us to be a human expression of who he is everywhere we are. Back to Ryan's definition of evangelism. We should live in a vibrant way 
where the joy of God's salvation, his redemption, his life, his spirit living in us is something that we get to convey simply in how we live and how we engage people. Be it the clerk at Walmart or be it someone that I'm shepherding and discipling. So again, thinking of the idea of someone who will lead, and this is what elders are called to do. They're called to lead, to care for God's people. They are to do and to assist in the pastoring. There are enough people sitting in this room that if Ryan tried to pastor all of you individually, guess what would happen to him? Guess what happened to you? The fact is, is that that's an unrealistic expectation. So God raises up men who are called elders, presbyters, overseers, to help shepherd and care for God's people under the leadership of your senior pastor, or your lead pastor. So again, it is a trustworthy statement, the Word of God says, if a man desires to be a bishop or an overseer. Now that word overseer is what the New American Standard uses, and it sounds almost like it could be overbearing as well as being overseeing. But that word actually means that it's a person who manages or supervises or cares for the well-being of people. That's what it actually means. So an elder is concerned about the spiritual and emotional well-being and physical well-being of God's people. How many of you would like to be cared for like that? Seriously, this is, this is good news, folks. This is exciting because this is what God desires for us, but it's also something that we're to grow in to learn how to live this. Okay, so overseeing is not being overbearing. It is being lovingly caring for God's people. And truly a man in, in his walk with God truly needs to experience the love of God and truly live out of the two great commandments, to love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love us as his neighbors as he loves himself. So the key is, is that we would love God we would let God's love live in, in and, and through us and then basically be able to communicate and love those that God has put in the body of Christ and even in the world around us. My last time here, which was last July when our brother was not well, um, I spent the whole time in that sermon actually talking about the love of God, the love and the pursuit of God and God's heart for us. So I'm not going to go back and repeat that, but... The point is, is that the Spirit of God loves us. The Spirit of God lives in us. And so if God himself is love and his Spirit lives in me, would you agree with me that we have the capacity and the capability to express God's love to other people? True, not true. Okay, true, thank you. Some of you are agreeing, some of you are doubting, but that's okay. It's, uh, we, we understand everybody's different places in the journey. But we have the capacity and we have the Spirit of God in us that allows us to experience and to express the love of God to another individual. And so the point is, is that this is a part of the journey for eldership, is that we would truly be able to live in the love of God and meet and to engage and to care for people out of the love of God. God's love, even in the midst of our sin. And this also goes back to Ryan's definition of evangelism, 
There is a place where we are to share the gospel with people who do not know Jesus Christ. That is for sure. But the fact is there's not a pastor alive and there's not a time when I even counsel today or meet with people that I am not preaching the gospel to believers. How many of you have fallen into sin and somehow have gotten tied up in the lie that you aren't forgiven even if you've asked God to forgive you? How many of you don't need to hear the good news that Jesus literally did die for our sins and that what he paid and what he did is paying more than enough of a price not only to forgive you for your sin, but also to forgive the sin of the person who perpetrated that sin against you, potentially, if you were hurt by someone else's sin. So again, this is a living of the, the living in the truth and the, and the freedom. Sandy and I had a wonderful discussion yesterday morning for a couple hours at our breakfast table. And we got to preach and live the gospel and live the good news that Jesus is real and how God is shaping and forming and transforming us after almost 46 years of marriage. Now that can be both, as one friend of mine told me, our marriage is discouraging and encouraging. He said that it's discouraging because he thought, well, let me tell you the encouraging first. He said it's encouraging because God continues to transform us and God continues to change us and draw us more deeply into him and into communion with one another. On the other hand, he said it's discouraging. He said, because I thought somewhere along the line you'd finally get it figured out and it'll all be downhill from there. I said, well, if there's a place like that, we have not found it yet, but I don't believe that it exists. So anyhow, the point is that we get to live in a way that will express and give one another not only the hope, but the reality that God's redemptive work is more than enough for us. And I pray that God will give us constant drawing and life and experiences that we would be able to grow in the truth of that together as the body of Christ. Now again, it says that he must be above reproach, blameless. How does one achieve that? Blameless, above reproach. How would one live like that, knowing that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, if it were not for the beauty of the redemptive work of Christ? When sin is forgiven, what is imputed to us? Not only forgiveness is given to us, but righteousness is imputed. 1 John 1.9 says that... If we confess our sins, God is not only faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but he also cleanses us from the unrighteousness of our sin. So the fact is we're brought back into right standing with a God who loves us. And in that right standing, we then have the wonderful joy to be able to give forgiveness having received it. And because it becomes a living part of our reality, we then can share it as a part of our testimony. Theology, unless it's really worked into the fabric of our lives, folks, and becomes a living reality in our lives, is simply that, theology. A religion that can produce a religion that has no power in it. But when our theology, the beauty of this, starts to become a living reality in us, then it literally becomes vibrantly our testimony. Because then I can stand before people and say, I know 
the God who has saved me has forgiven me yet again, and I stand redeemed whole in front of my God, fully loved, fully forgiven, fully redeemed. And out of that, I have the joy of being able to live that way and invite others to that, which is what we have the privilege to do as believers and as elders. The husband of one wife. It sounds pretty logical in today's culture, or maybe no, but the thing is, is that this statement was made by Paul preeminently because the practice of polygamy was a big deal in those days. Now, those of you who are married, and I speak as a husband lovingly, I don't know that, I, I, I couldn't begin to imagine the conflict that would exist in a household if there were two women and kids by each woman and all the just the mediation. Listen, you wouldn't even be able to work for a living. You'd be a full-time mediator and peacemaker. And so the whole point is, is that this is to deal with the idea of polygamy, but it also has to deal with faithfulness, our commitment, our covenant commitment to our to our wives. And the beauty of that is, is that it does not preclude people who are not married. Single men can become elders. It doesn't say you have to be the husband of one wife. It can also be a widower who is either not married or married because he has lost his wife. Or it could be a person who has experienced, unfortunately, for biblical reasons, a divorce and has remarried. And depending upon the terms of that divorce, that man might be qualified, may be qualified to serve as an elder by the way he lives and by the way he serves. So again, and this is truly an amazing gift of God, and it's also to say that the redemptive work of Christ plays out in how we look at our leadership. Factor out the, 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 the redemptive work of Christ and the continued work of Christ, then this would be a hopeless estate and I'd be preaching to you legalism that would never be achievable this morning. So again, thanks be to God that we are able to see the beauty of God's addressing this. Temperate, it says, he must be. That means showing moderation or self-restraint. How many of you sat with people and, uh, and basically they're either accusing you of something or you're hearing they have done something and you're tempted to rise up in criticism and in anger? I won't ask you to raise a hand because you'd all raise them if you were really honest because we've all experienced that ourselves. But under the control of the Spirit of God, the, 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 and part of this is also self-control, but that we would not immediately go there, but in the love of God, we'd be able to hear where people are and navigate it out of our love for God and the hope of the redemptive work of God in their lives no matter what they've done. Think about that. To be able to look at someone, to hear about their sin, and be tremendously grieved at it, and even tempted to be angry about it, but to look at it as God would look at it because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and to be able to see the hope of the redemptive work of Christ, that there's not one thing that anyone will sit in front of you and confess that Jesus didn't die for. And there's not one thing that's not unforgivable except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit according to the Scriptures. 
And that would be functionally to deny the whole work of the Holy of, of Christ Himself. And if you do not engage or do not receive the redemptive work of Christ, that would be unforgivable because there'd be no forgiveness to be given because you wouldn't have a relationship with the God, the only God who could give it. So again, we live with the hope and the security of who we are in Christ and that we are the beloved of God. How do we hear accusation against ourselves and truly be able to live in it except that God would give us the grace and the security that we are first formed and shaped and literally ruled and reigned by only His opinion of us. The unfortunate part is we have lived for the opinions and expectations of everyone around us. There was a hospice nurse who did a study of patients she took care of in the last 12 weeks of their lives, and she started to codify all the regrets that these folks had in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And the number one re regret that people had as she, as she summed all this data up was that I wish that I had lived the life that I had been given and not the life that everyone else expected of me. How we live to everyone else's expectations. And yet Proverbs 16 verse 7 says, if a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. So again, the joy is, is for someone to come to peace with me is not by my manipulative behavior. It is really the work of the Spirit of God in them. God giving them grace to love and to forgive and to engage. So again, yes, we need to be obedient to what God tells us to do in our engagement with other people. But there's a fine line between being manipulated and controlled by that versus being led by God to go and make amends and ask for forgiveness, as God would direct us if we were, there is brokenness. Pardon me, he is expected to be prudent, which means acting or showing care and thought for the future. Engaging, counseling, encouraging. It's becoming pragmatic if you're sitting and looking at someone who's helping you wrestle with economic issues or other things in your life. You want someone who is going to be able to look at this with a hope and yet also thoughtful for the future, not just for the immediacy of the moment, but the idea of how this plays out even for the future in our lives and in your life. Respectable. This is an interesting definition. It's regarded by society to be good, proper, correct, and trustworthy. And again, we would never fulfill that based upon our perfection in being able to live that. Hospitable. This is one that I love because when Sandy and I have done our, our spiritual gifts, in the top three for both of us has been hospitality. Sandy and I love to entertain. We love to have people come for dinner. We love to engage with people. We love to share time with people. And so the point is, is that welcoming people into your home, welcoming people into sharing a meal, but your life is not only just with what you do with your home and whether you're breaking bread, which is a general understanding of it, but your whole spirit, your whole engagement of people 
If you're walking in God, will be hospitable. People will feel welcomed into communion or into fellowship with you. Think about that. We've had folks actually walk in our house and tell us that they just sense that there's peace in our home. Now, how does that happen? Because we tack up a you know, little sign saying there's peace here? No. The fact is, is that what they sense is the Spirit of God. Who is the Spirit of peace? But that comes out of our oneness with God, our joy of God, and being able to want to engage people and to experience and express who God is to these folks in the way that God has created us, etc. All right, so the next area, this is a very interesting one, able to teach. Able to teach, does that mean imparting information? I mean, I'm teaching the Word of God this morning, but teaching is more than that. Teaching, for someone to be able to teach, it is truly, if you've taken uh, courses in chemistry or physics uh, in high school, each of those classes had what with it? A laboratory, right? I mean, you actually learned some theory, like gravity, and you went into a laboratory and you dropped something and made sure that it didn't go up. It came down. So you did something to verify the truth of what was being taught. And I believe Christianity, if it were a lab, if it were a, if it were a college level or high school level course, would be a lab science. It would be a laboratory course. There's a laboratory called life for us. This is the classroom. This is the theory. This is the truth being preached, yes. And God, by His Spirit, bearing witness to you of what I'm speaking this morning is truth and God giving you faith, you will start to move to it. But that's a work of the Spirit in all of you. But the fact is, for you to make a choice to live it out and to work it out in your lives is the laboratory of life. And how many of you know Every day is an experiment to see whether God's truth is real or not. How many of you know that? The fact is, do we believe it? This is where, again, our theology becomes our reality. If my wife and I get into an argument and I'm hurt in it, and we can finally find redemption and forgiveness in God and oneness with each other, that is a laboratory of life to say Jesus Christ and His redemptive work and the power of the Spirit in us is really real. And we found that yesterday, and I remember sitting at my table looking at my wife saying, isn't God amazing that He can take the two of us, change our hearts, and bring us into a oneness not predicated upon negotiation, mediation, but redemption itself given to us because He's a God who loves us and said we are to express the beauty of the communion between the Christ who is the bridegroom and the church who is the bride. And we get to live that out. And so it becomes a reality for us, and it's a growing reality. And trust me, that's the joy of the past 15 or 20 years. The first 30, we could tell you other stories. Trust me, we could. But God has always been working in the continuum. So again, a man who's given to teach must not only be able to impart truth, he must be a lifelong learner. The pastor who shepherded me in the church that ordained me 
said to me, sitting on my sofa in my living room, it's, he was age 70, he was a year younger than I am right now, when he sat and told me, and I said, Peter, I said, the wonderful thing I think about you is, is that you're always open to learn and to wrestle and grow. And he looked at me and very providentially just said, Jeff, he said, when I finish learning, I feel like the Lord will be done with me and I'll be with him. So he was encouraging me. Life is a continuing journey of learning and growing in relationship to God. We never stop learning because the beauty is that if God himself is unfathomable, then we will never be fully knowledgeable about who he is. There will always be more to discover. And even in the beauty of learning how God has gifted more in each of you, which you'll do in this class, the joy of living out of that and being able to experience that and see that is amazing. And the fact is, because there's a unique aspect of the Spirit of God that lives in you, you yourself are unfathomable. There are more things about you that you're learning. I can sit with my wife this morning and come home, go away and come home tonight, and she's a different person by what she's experienced. And I get to discover that, and I get to hear that. And she gets to hear that in and through me. So again, lifelong learning, lifelong sharing. And the fact is being able to be able to share truth out of the reality of our lives together is the body of Christ. The next one is reasonably obvious, but I'll say it anyhow, not addicted to much wine. The fact is, is that who wants a drunkard to lead you? I don't think that any of you would even make a position for that, but not addicted to wine doesn't mean that he can't drink wine or that you can't drink alcohol, but it must not be taken into excess such that it would cloud your judgment and cloud your reason, which would facilitate you not being able to love and to lead and to care for God's people. Here's a nice one. We read it pugnacious. means eager or quick to argue, quarrel, or fight. How many of you would be guilty of being pugnacious from time to time? Hmm? We all ready to jump up. But the fact is, is that it's not about, and we share, Cindy and I share this when we do premarital counseling, is, is that most couples will argue about who's right. Who's got the right theology, who's got the right idea, who's got the right position, who's got right, the right opinion. And, I, and, and we encourage them that, well, that's understandable and God does understandable, it'll never bring a redemptive outcome. But the joy is here, if we are people who are not geared to jump in even when and, and start to argue with people, is we can help to lead them to discover ultimately what the will of God is. For Sandy and myself, we are learning and actually had an opportunity to do this yesterday morning um, where we prayed together because we weren't necessarily in agreement about a situation, but we prayed and put our opinions to the side and we said, Father, would you forgive us for looking at our own opinions first? And Father, would you direct us and lead us and let us find together your will and go do it together and be able to enjoy that? So if Sandy and I both see the will of God together and follow it, then under God we will be successful because God's will will be done and we will be doing it out of a unity and love by the grace of God. So again, when we engage people, it's not to argue about right, even right theology. Trust me, I've sat and heard a lot of people spew heresy. And if my first reaction was, oh my Lord, you believe that? How did you come to believe that? How prone would you to be, be, if I were sitting with you, would you be to engage with that? 
The beauty is, is that we help people discover the truth even about their heresy. And when they discover truth, they'll own it. When we tell them the truth, it may very well offend them. Because we're telling them we've got the answer and they don't. So again, being able to do that, and that leads to the next one, being gentle, mild in temperament and behavior, kind and tender. The love of God is winsome and drawing. It is not argumentative and forceful. Peaceable, inclined to avoid argument and violent conflict. It doesn't mean that persons, these folks, these elders would avoid the argument, but they would be peacefully engaging it to bring it to resolution. Free from the love of money. That's pretty sensible. The fact is that we go at this for greed or for money or for financial gain. That's not a godly motive. And let me mention this here because I didn't mention it earlier. You can pursue, it says if you desire to be an elder, you desire a good thing. But trust me, there's a lot in the world and the culture today that says if you're a good CEO of an, or an executive in an organization, you'll make a good elder, and that is a non sequitur in the kingdom of God. Because you can lead a corporation, because you can lead an organization, will speak to your leadership skills, but it will not talk to your character or your pastoral character or your heart for people, etc. There are people who think that this is a good office to hold because it's another notch on their resume. They're, they're an elder at such and such church, and they're the executive here, and this, that, and the other. And we look at it in a very, uh, you know, unbiblical, un if you will, way. And going after this for power because you want to tell people what to do and how to do it is uh, also a train wreck uh, and will lead to train wrecks because of the fact that your motivation and your heart for this whole thing is wrong. So again, it talks about being free from the love of money, but also I can add to that power, ego, position, etc., etc. So again, it is God who calls an elder and it is the church that affirms an elder and thereby will be able to, in love and the power of God, walk with their eldership. Eldership is not just for making the illegal decisions of the body of Christ or this church when it particularizes. That will be a part of their responsibility. But the major part of their responsibility is for the overall well-being of the body of Christ. The sheep are led to pastures that we are taught the Word of God and its beauty we are encouraged to live out of the reality of the Word of God and that we will flourish together as the body of Christ. And in so doing, the whole community will look and see and be invited to the reality of the beautiful life there is in Christ. So, again, he's a man who must manage his own household well. This is, uh, this is interesting since the Lord just had me pause about talking about leadership. Teaching and training and leading in the home is the qualifying issue. As Paul is talking to Timothy and telling Timothy functionally how to raise up elders in Ephesus where Timothy was sent. And so Paul is telling him what to look for in people. So again, the, the home, the family, it, the, 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 the home has been called the church and microcosm. This church will be made up preeminently and predominantly by families. Even for those of you single may get married, be part of this church and have children. 
be a part of a family, but it is a family. So if a man cannot manage his own family well, cannot lead his own family well, the, 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 the converse says if he doesn't do that well, how will he manage the household of God? If I'm insensitive to the needs of my wife, if I don't care about the well-being of my children, I don't bring discipline, I don't engage them, I don't love them, I don't help them walk with God, the fact is, if I don't do that with my wife and my children, what makes anyone think that that would be, that would be okay because I could come in and do it with you all? No. No, if I'm not living, if I'm not faithful in that which God has given me, which is my home to shepherd and care for, then how would I ever be faithful with more? So the point is not that I'm perfected. The hallmark of Sandy's and my relationship and my children, if they were standing here, and they're 42 and 40 respectively, so they've got lots of experience, they would tell you the hallmark of our family is that we share love as a family and engagement as a family because we've learned to celebrate the beauty of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and been able to live out the forgiveness of God with each other over 40-some years of life as a family. So it is the hallmark. It's not that I've been a great dad. It's not that Sandy's been a great mom. I haven't been a great husband. Sandy hasn't been a great wife. My kids haven't been great kids. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this is not us about nobilizing and raising up people, that this, that, and the other. And, you know, the hallmark of my life is Jesus Christ and his love for me and his redemptive work. And to stand before you all and have the privilege to declare this is an honor from God that my words just start, don't, don't begin to be able to describe. Because this is important, folks. This is important for the leadership. It's important for you to see the beauty of God's heart. This is not just telling you that these folks need to be good, brave, thrifty, clean, and reverent, and you should elect them, and they should be your elders. Not, not at all. But again, loving my wife, loving my children, helping them to walk with God is the prerequisite for me to be able to be an elder and to serve in the body of Christ. So again, leadership training is not teaching people quali different skills because I think God has given skills. Yes, there are some things that we do need to be taught as folks who are learning and walking in eldership, but preeminently comes from a heart that wants to see God and wants to help people walk with God as we walk with God. It also says he's not to be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Not a new convert. What do you think the problem is with new converts becoming elders? They'd be tempted to pride, tempted to have authority in people's lives. So there is an experience and journey in life that teaches us the beauty of learning the value of not being the king of the forest. How many of you know that when you got power and you got pride, I mean, got power ahead of time, it's ultimately something that can very easily corrupt us sinfully because we feel like we're now in the place where we make the decisions and under God, people have to follow us. And so if we haven't been literally wrestled with and haven't learned in God how to walk with God deeply in the love of God, we will misuse 
a place of power and responsibility. So again, Paul is just simply forewarning, somebody comes to know Christ, they're energetic, don't stick them in a position of that kind of responsibility because it ultimately could lead to their, 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 their downfall and it consequently the body of Christ would be injured and wounded by that. So Paul is telling Timothy not to allow that to happen. Also, the last but not least, it says, it must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. What gives us a good reputation outside the church? Good PR? Website? Great social media presence? What gives us simply a good reputation in the community except a life lived under the Lordship and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? And even for my sins, if they have been forgiven, I can walk truly secure in God's opinion of me and when I can walk in, it as secure in the opinion of God and the love of God for me, guess what I will be able to do with you? I will be able to invite you to that beautiful place of God's love, God's forgiveness becoming a reality in your life. And I can say to you, fully engaged in faith, that I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We want folks who are not perfect to be our elders. We want folks who are redeemed in Christ, continuing to learn to walk and live in Christ. And even if our elders should sin and we would be able to be made aware of that and sin against us, we would have an appeal for the reconciliation for that. The point is that we don't get as a church to sit back and just look and wait for our elders to do something that's not according to the book of church order or to the Bible and then becoming critical. It's a matter of us living in a way that we'll be able to walk in righteousness and in oneness with each other. Church, I can't tell you the joy it is after 46 years of walking with the Lord, which is how long I've been alive in Christ, and to see the continued love and work of God Almighty for me and in me and through me and I would encourage you today that you would pray for these men. Pray that they will lead you to the pastures and the places that God has created for you each individually and corporately as a church so that you would flourish in the life and the love of God in your spirit, in your emotion, and even in the natural and your physical. We prayed for people who are wrestling and suffering with diseases. I was deeply saddened. A friend of mine who's a part of a discipleship group I led this morning sent an 
email that he and his wife lost their baby at 19 weeks of pregnancy this morning. And we have been praying she's been on bed rest for, for, for a whole month, etc. But to hear and to see the, the testimony of the beauty of God that they got to hold this little baby and hold and tender care for him and tell him while they weren't going to be able to be with him and he wouldn't be with them for the rest of their natural lives, that they look forward to a day in heaven when they would be with God Almighty and Him forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the beauty of the kingdom of God. It's the beauty of the life of God. It's the beauty of the perspective of God. You get a glimpse into the eternal window of the beauty of the gospel that we serve, the gospel that we experience, the gospel we live, and the beauty of the work of Christ into which we invite people. So last but not least, if you put the last slide up, please. The beauty is that I want uh, for us as a church as, uh, to pray for men who will shepherd in God's love, who will care for us, who will lead us, but they'll walk in love and obedience to God and encourage out of their own life, out of their own love, and out of their own theology, out of their own reality, and out of their testimony, that they would encourage you to walk with God in like manner. The summarization of Jesus' life, this is a 50,000-foot dumbed-down, so please don't hold me fully accountable for this, but Jesus' life had three fundamental elements to it. He loved his dad, he listened to his dad, and he obeyed his dad. Think about that. He loved his dad, he listened to his father's will, and he obeyed the will of God out of his love for his father. May we, as the body of Christ here in New City Church, not only have leadership, but be a people who will love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. May we be a people who will listen for the Word and the will of God, and letting the Word of God live and be active in us by the power of the Spirit, and let the truth of the Word of God renew our minds so that our lives will be transformed in our obedience to that Word out of our love for God. And may we as a church walk with God in a manner that we will see the kingdom of God come here today, now, and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' name. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we bless you and thank you for your love, for your life, for us, Lord God. Father, I thank you for your love for the body of part of the body of Christ, which is called New City Church here in Lawrenceville. Father, continue to pour out your spirit upon the leadership of this church, upon Ryan and Megan, and Lord, those who are a part of the launch team and those who have become elders. And Father, would you continue to lead them and help them navigate, Lord, into this place that you've called them to. And Father, may they in ever-increasing measure their lives individually and corporately as the body of Christ declare your love, your life, and Lord, your way, in Jesus' name, amen.